Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. I'm going to talk a lot in this episode again about this supposed product review update. I say supposed because although I'm seeing some sites with movement that coincide roughly with this update, I really can't see sites that I can say with certainty were hit by this update amongst the data that I've reviewed. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I think that a lot of the websites that think they were affected by the product review update actually have an even more serious problem. And solving it involves learning a lot about how Google understands intent. So I'll go into more details on that in this episode. We've got some news to share about Core Web Vitals as Google has pushed back the date in which they're going to start counting those as a ranking factor. I'll share about that in a bit too. And I haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to answer a Q&A question today because somebody asked me about disavowing and I love talking about disavowing. <laughs> I'm laughing here because when I prepared my script for, uh, for podcasts, the things I wanted to talk about, I've been using the voice dictate function and uh, Google Docs um, likes to, instead of saying disavowing, it calls it disemboweling which I'm not really a fan of disemboweling as much as disavowing. <laughs> the question uh, that is asked is about um, a site that suddenly has seen a bunch of spam in their backlink profile and whether or not they should disavow those. I've answered this before, but it's such a common question that I'm going to give my opinion again on that. This is episode number 180 of Search News You Can Use. What I'm sharing about in this podcast episode are my thoughts on MHC's most recent newsletter. If you find this podcast helpful, I really would encourage you to visit mariehaines.com slash newsletter, as there usually are quite a few things in there that I don't cover in this podcast episode. Otherwise, I'd be talking off your ear for the next five hours or so, and I think my voice would uh, fail me. I should mention that this week we actually added a new feature. For those of you who do pay the $18 a month for the full content of uh, newsletter, where you can now have access to our full cleaned up transcript of the recent Google Help Hangouts. You can just visit our blog, make sure you're logged into our site, and you'll see the last couple of episodes there. Uh, it'll take about a week or so for us to get the transcript up for future ones, because I need to read through them and pick out all the good bits. And then uh, what my team has done is taken all of my tweets about the help hangouts, put them all together alongside of the transcript. And we're going to keep that for our uh, premium readers right now. So hopefully you enjoy that. Let me know if you do. So let's talk about this product reviews update. If you have not heard last week's episode, I went through Google's blog post about this update in great detail. The blog post gives us questions to ask if we have uh, review content on our website. Now, some people are a little bit confused about what constitutes review content. The way I understand it, what Google's talking about here with this update, it's meant to target pages on the web that review products or services, or basically help searchers make decisions about a product or service, something that they wanna buy or give money to. Some sites consist of almost completely review content. We have some clients where the vast majority of the pages on their site would be considered a review of some type of product or service. And the weird thing is that none of these clients appear to be affected by this update. My team and I were talking about this and one of my auditors said, well, 
it seems to be mostly low-quality affiliate sites that would be hit by this update. And I, I guess what he was saying is that our clientele that pays a significant amount of money for a review from us, maybe we don't have low-quality affiliate sites to look at in Google Analytics or Search Console. But even if that's the case, if those low-quality affiliate sites are seeing massive drops, we should have some clients that are benefiting from their loss and seeing some kind of gains that we can tie into the product review update. Now, don't get me wrong, we have a number of clients with nice gains, and I do have to apologize here. Last week, I mentioned in podcasts that we had several clients with hockey stick growth in their Google Analytics. I, you know, I likened it to, uh, I was saying how I'm going to have a whole bunch more sports analogies now that the Leafs are doing so well. Well, listen, if you're a Leafs fan, you know that they've lost, what, the last four games or something like that. So uh, just like the Leafs, I they disappoint me all the time, and I got disappointed by these Google Analytics as well. Um, so... This week, my main task was to review each of these clients that had this big spike in their analytics and figure out what keywords were affected and whether we could tie it to the quality review, uh, to, to con the quality of their review content. Well, it turns out that a couple of our clients saw massive growth because of world circumstances, nothing to do with the product review update. We have one site that has fantastic review content and it started seeing a spike in traffic across many pages of their site, starting just a couple of days after the launch of the product review update. As a reminder, that was April 8th that it launched. And as of Tuesday this week, April 20th, Danny Sullivan says that it's still rolling out. So my first assumption was that this site has excellent review content and was benefiting from the product review update. It turns out, though, that only a section of their site is seeing increases, and it has nothing to do with product reviews. They're, they've written about a very newsworthy event that just happened. I, I can't share the exact details without giving the client away, but my point is that the pages that were up were up because of world news as opposed to because of the product review update. And then we had a bunch of other clients with really nice improvement in how much traffic they were getting. And these improvements were across many pages of their site. Although in many cases, now I see the homepage saw much more improvement than other pages. For these clients, for every one of them, their traffic spiked and lasted maybe a day or two, and then things went back down to normal. Well, it turns out that for these cases, it was actually that old problem with Google Analytics referral spam, which is not always easy to see at first glance. If you have a temporary spike in traffic, even organic traffic, because when this happened years ago, we would be looking at referral traffic to find the bots <laughs> that are doing this. Uh, but even in your organic traffic now, because that's where they seem to be coming through, the way you can determine whether the spike is caused by bots is to go into your analytics, go to acquisition and traffic, and choose channels. And once you're there, look at your organic search. You'll have an option to click on that. And in most cases, the top keyword that you're going to see is either not provided or not set. That's normal. That's what we want to see. But for sites that had traffic spikes, you can see that the top keyword was actually the name of a spammy website. I think most of the ones this week were from a site called traffic.club or something like that. As far as I can see, it's just a scheme for scammers to get people to sign up to programs that promise you lots of traffic. 
this traffic really shouldn't help you. Uh, really, it just causes more headaches. And especially when people are trying to analyze your analytics, it's really made a lot of headaches for me. Although I'll tell you something interesting. One of the reasons why I didn't detect this as bot traffic right away is because for many of these sites that saw the increase, the pages that received bot traffic also saw an improvement in rankings for many keywords. Which brings up the very interesting discussion about whether an increase in clicks can actually result in better rankings. I'm going to go on a little rabbit trail here and share with you a little bit about how we won the Wix SEO competition a little while back. And part of our strategy was actually taking advantage of this potential little loophole. I know this is very unlike me to talk about, uh, you know, finding loopholes in Google's algorithms. I don't think we did anything that broke Google's guidelines. And I'll share with you why it's not practical for most sites, but it's still kind of a cool story. So several years ago, I was at a MozCon conference. Um, oh gosh, remember when we used to go to conferences and hang out together? Gosh, it's been, there's so many of you that I really, really miss and would love to see you. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get back there one day. I know some parts of the world are, are really doing well. We're still in lockdown here in Ottawa. So at that MozCon, Rand Fishkin did an experiment, a live experiment. There were several thousand people in the room and he asked all of us to take out our phones and do a search for, it was something like best steak in Seattle. Rand told us that he knew the owner of a steakhouse in Seattle who was currently ranking on the first page, but not, I, I want to say they were maybe at position three or four or so. And that's where they'd been ranking for a while. So Rand had this theory that if a whole bunch of us started searching for best steak in Seattle and we clicked on and engaged with his friend's site, that it would rank better. So we all did it. We took out our phones and we did the search and we all engaged with this one website. We clicked on a few pages and browsed around like a regular searcher would. Rand didn't tell us which pages to go to. He said, just spend a few minutes on the site. Well, it didn't take long before that site was ranking number one. So I bet you can imagine what happened from there. People saw that click-through rate spam could actually work, maybe. And it was shortly after that that I was seeing ads on Facebook for people who would advertise that they could just continually click on your website and it would improve your rankings. And this is kind of what the sites that are turning up in your analytics as bot spam are doing. They're sending artificial traffic to your website that looks pretty good if you want to show your boss, maybe. Um, and I don't know, maybe it has the potential to improve your keyword rankings for like a day or two, but there's a serious flaw with this method. And I really think that Google will eventually figure out that these aren't legitimate searches or, you know, the search volume just can't continue uh, at that level for, for long. So for that steakhouse, I'm not sure how long they stayed ranking number one, but it was temporary. I want to say maybe a day or two. So this tactic is not something that I recommend that you do unless you need to rank for a specific keyword for just one day. And I kind of feel like this wouldn't work for, say, Black Friday or anything where there's like intense competition. Most of you who are listening to this probably know that a couple of years ago, we were chosen as one of the two competing agencies in a competition that Wix put on. They billed us from MHC as the Wix SEO lovers. 
Which was kind of funny because we're, we weren't really great fans of Wix. Uh, to be honest, I don't think we knew enough about the platform. But we did recognize that they'd come a long way in improving SEO issues that they've had over the years. So we thought, ah, it'd be fun to compete and learn more about the platform. So we built the website on the Wix platform and we competed against an agency called Liquid Interactive and they built a website on WordPress. And both teams had several months to rank for just one term, Wix SEO. For quite a while, it was actually neck and neck. We went back and forth with who was outranking the other. Uh, and we talked as a team about Rand's experiment and about whether or not getting more engagement on our website, maybe just prior to uh, the day on which the contest was going to be judged, could improve our rankings based on Rand's experiment with the steakhouse. So we didn't want to use a SCSI tool or anything like that. And we didn't want to do anything that was against Google's guidelines. So what we did was the day before the contest was to be judged, we ran a little contest of our own. We tweeted about how we were trying to win the Wix SEO competition. And we asked our audience where they saw us when they searched for Wix SEO. And then we told them, oh, while you're there, we're running a contest. We did a scavenger hunt on our website. I think we placed little images of John Mueller in random places on the website. And then we said that the first few people who could find them all would get a free subscription to uh, our newsletter. So what we did was we got tons of people searching for the keyword that we wanted to rank for and then clicking on our website and then also engaging with our website, each in their own unique way. We didn't tell them what order to look at pages at and things like that. And yes, our rankings improved for ranking for Wix SEO. And we won the contest. It was $25,000. Everybody had a very nice Christmas bonus on top of their regular bonus. Uh, it was quite the experience. Now, we did other things as well. I mean, it wasn't just, that wasn't the reason why we won the competition. I mean, we, for example, we got local press coverage to improve our EAT and gain some natural mentions. And we did a lot of other stuff. So we can't say our win was based solely on user engagement, improving our rankings, but I think it's possible that it helped. But that's not practical for any actual business though. I mean, it was great for us because we needed to rank for one particular keyword with very little search volume for one particular day. But it could be a good thing to experiment with. Again, I want to emphasize here, I'm not recommending paying for a service to send bot traffic to your website. I think that Google's algorithms are probably smart enough to figure out when there are real humans actively engaging with the site and when it's artificial, um, at least after you know some period of time. And while I do think that maybe some rankings were improved for some of our clients after this massive bot spike, I can't see how this is in any way sustainable. So getting back to this product reviews update, after we weeded out the clients that had increases from bot spam and the clients whose increases could be tied to world events or in some cases seasonality, we still have several clients with nice gains. And yes, these clients did have review content, the improvements that they saw in most cases were across the entire site as well. Now, we did have confirmation from Google that this product reviews update really is a site-wide thing. It's not like they're taking individual pages and deciding, well, this one's good and this one we don't think meets our standards. 
in terms of the product review update. Rather, it sounds like they're able to recognize when a site generally does an excellent job at informing readers and then reward those sites. So we have a few clients that I was all set to write about and show their analytics and give examples of why their content would tick all of the boxes in Google's blog post on what we need to know about this product review update. But here's the problem. These sites, they're continuing to grow and they're doing well, but their improvements started on either April 5th or 6th. One of our cases is April 4th as well. So I reached out to Danny Sullivan on Twitter and asked whether it's possible that the product review update actually launched earlier than April 8th, which is what, you know, the blog post says April 8th. And Danny confirmed it was April 8th. So it's possible that some of our clients are seeing improvements because of the product review update, but you can very clearly see that the increase starts a few days before. To, to show you the other side of this, we do have several clients as well that are seeing decreases over the last few weeks or even months in their Google organic traffic. We have a couple of clients with the odd keyword that dropped dramatically on or just after April 8th, but none of these keywords have anything to do with reviews. I did notice that several of them across different clients in different verticals were keywords surrounding a calculator or a tool. I'm a little bit hesitant about how much to say about this in podcasts because this is pure speculation and I don't have enough data to say this with certainty. But it seems to me that in a lot of these cases, Google got better at figuring out the searcher's intent behind the query. The example that I mentioned last week was kind of like a mortgage calculator page that still ranks great for mortgage calculator, but dropped in rankings for people searching just for mortgage. While some people who search for mortgage might want a mortgage calculator, in most cases, they probably don't. And so I think it's possible that there was a significant intent-related update that was released just prior to the product reviews update. Um, in other words, it's not that Google assessed the content and said, oh, this content is no longer good. Rather, it figured out that when intent behind the search of mortgage was different than the intent for mortgage calculator. Google's done stuff like this before where they've, I think they've released algorithms, you know, obviously they've released algorithms that they haven't told us about, but I think they released something big just before the product review update uh, that's going to confuse a lot of people. Some of you will remember several years ago, Google made a big deal about launching the exact match domain update. And similar to what they did this year with providing a blog post for the product reviews update, they did the same thing for this EMD update. And we found out sometime later that just a day or two before the EMD update, they also launched a massive Panda update. And so many people who had read Google's communication about their recent update, the EMD one, were trying to figure out why they were affected by an exact match domain update when they didn't have an exact match domain. In case anybody doesn't know, exact match domain means that your domain name is exactly the same as the keyword you want to rank for. So, you know, if my uh, domain name was SEO agency in Ottawa, uh, not that we want to rank for that, but uh, let's say that we did, that would be an exact match domain. I had people reaching out to me saying, oh, my domain contains a keyword. Should I get rid of it? Because there was so much confusion at this time when the vast majority of sites that were affected were actually hit by Panda. So 
The final thing I'll pass on about my analysis of this frustrating update is to talk about a few of our clients who have actually seen declines recently. When I was looking at individual clients to find keywords that had lost rankings on or around the date of the product's review update, in almost every case, when I looked at these keywords, they had already been on a downward slide. I keep mentioning in my podcast about the fact that we had little mini updates. We've had these for every week or two. Um, and I know Google updates all the time, but there's something of significance in these little mini updates. I think we had another one of these on April 15th last week, although I haven't investigated this one yet. Who knows? Maybe I'll see more product review related movement that I can definitely tie into uh, that update. We first started seeing these mini updates in January and we're continuing to see them. My speculation is that each of these updates represents either new advancements that Google's made in understanding intent or changes to the knowledge graph, which really would result in Google understanding more about the content on pages. Let me explain that more because it's making sense in my head, but I feel like I'm not explaining it well. Let's go back to the last published update of the Quality Raiders Guidelines. That was October of 2020, just two months before our last core update, which was in December, which by the way is one month before January where we started seeing these mini updates. I really feel that uh, December launched something, December core update launched something very, very significant. Now, we know that Google uses the QRG, the Raiders guidelines, to train their quality raters to understand what it is that Google wants to value in web pages. And then when a Google engineer wants to make changes to the algorithm, they present the quality raters with two sets of search results. One is how the results look today, and the second is what they would look like with the new changes implemented. So every time the QRG updates, my team springs into action. We divide up the whole guide and we use a tool to compare the two versions and we figure out what's new. And the reason why we do this is because we think it's a pretty safe assumption that if Google has added new instructions to the raters to help them assess quality, then it's something that Google's trying to accomplish with their algorithms. Well, the last time the QRG updated in October, they added a whole bunch of stuff to teach the raters how to assess needs met. They have two sliders that they use for every page that they visit. One is page quality. And page quality is something that if you've been trying to improve EAT for your website, you've been working on page quality. In newsletter, I shared a picture from the QRG that shows all of the components that make up page quality. EATs there, understanding the purpose of the page is listed, the amount and quality of content is important, and a couple of other things as well. And these are all the types of things that over the years we've been trying to figure out, well, how do we make it clear what the purpose of a page is? How do we determine if there's a good amount of high quality content on a page? How do we demonstrate our EAT? A lot of that is based on competitor research where we see what is it that Google seems to be rewarding that also lines up with what's in the QRG. But as SEOs, we really haven't talked too much about the second slider that the quality raters use. And that's the needs met slider, which I really think is synonymous with intent. There are very detailed instructions in the quality raters guidelines on how to assess needs met. 
I won't go through all of these in podcast, otherwise we'll be here all day. I, I did include a screenshot of this in newsletter again though, or you can find it in the guidelines themselves. They're available for everybody to find on the internet. Uh, section 14 of the QRG is called the relationship between page quality and needs met. The point in saying all of this is that if Google has been teaching the quality raters more about understanding when a searcher's needs have been met, then they're likely trying to accomplish this with their algorithms as well. I do think that in a future podcast, I'm going to expand more on that. This will probably be what I focus on the next time I read through the QRG. I did write an article last fall about understanding user intent as I had started to do some research at that time and just wanted to share a quote from that article. I had forgotten about this. I embedded a video from Frederick Dubuque from Bing. He knows a lot about Bing's algorithms and Bing, you know, we don't talk a lot about Bing, but Bing has made some very good advances in understanding language as well and in improving search as well as Google. Uh, so here's what he said. Search engines are shifting from keywords to intent at an accelerating pace. So if you imagine a few years ago, we were mostly based on keywords, we being Bing. Then we were a keyword-based search engine with a little bit of intent sprinkled on. And what we are looking forward to in 2020 is that search engines are going to be primarily intent-based. For you in the SEO community, what that means is that some of the current practices around keyword research are probably going to become slowly obsolete and you'll need to switch to intent research as a practice. That's really interesting, right? I think we have an awful lot to learn about intent-based research, especially if we want to be helping sites that have seen their Google organic traffic decline with any of these mini updates. If your traffic's been going down, you can check our list at mariehaines.com slash algo, A-L-G-O. And we've documented the days on which we feel these mini updates have happened, but the fix is going to be different for every website. In some cases, I don't know if there is a fix. If you have thousands of pages of content that Google can now determine is not the best fit for the keywords that you want to rank for, improving those thousands of pages to be the best fit is not going to be an easy task, not something that you can scale for a lot of sites. But I think that there are many cases where we really can look at the pages that Google's now preferring and figure out why. Why do they do a better job at meeting the needs of searchers? There's an example in newsletter again this week of a site that tweeted complaining about the products review update. The site's called mouthshut.com. This is another case where according to SEMrush and Ahrefs data, the site's just been in steady decline for several months. It's not like they just suddenly saw drops with the uh, April 8th product review update. I looked at just one keyword that they lost rankings for, that I was trying to find one that was connected to a review. The keyword was uh, Flipkart review. And they used to rank number one for this keyword in February. And then they dropped to number three by March. And then around April 8th, they dropped again to number four. Although I just did the search now and I see them at three again. So I, I think this is another case where somebody thinks they're affected by the product reviews update, but in reality, what's happening is Google's algorithms are getting better and better at determining which pages a user would want to see when they type this query. 
There's more on that newsletter, but I think I should move on as I've talked about this update for quite a while now. Another important thing to know in regards to Google's algorithms is that they're extending the time frame for making the page experience update, which is mostly core web vitals, also includes things like mobile friendliness and whether or not you're HTTPS. They're pushing back the release of this as a ranking factor. Google had initially said that page experience was going to be a ranking factor starting in May of this year, but now they're pushing that to sometime mid-June and it's going to continue to roll out uh, throughout August. So if you're working on improving your core web vitals, because most websites have areas where they need to improve, then you've got a little bit more time to figure out now how to do it. I tweeted a bunch of interesting stuff from recent help hangouts this week. Here's one that I thought was really, really interesting. Somebody asked a question about core web vitals again, and they said that a large portion of their traffic comes from countries that generally have poor mobile speeds, bad internet. And he wanted to know whether that could affect their core web vital scores. If 90% of your traffic comes from the Philippines, for example, and they end up having a bad experience on your website, should that impact your ability to rank in other locations like the US? Well, John said, I'm going to quote him here. If the bulk of your users see a slow experience, regardless of why, then essentially that's what will apply there. It's like if 90% of your users are coming from locations that are slow and essentially 90% of your users have this kind of suboptimal experience with your site, then that's kind of what will be taken into account, end quote. So that sounds important to me. If you have a lot of users from parts of the world that don't have good internet, then you need to pay attention even more to your core web vital scores, as you need to make sure that your site offers a good experience, even if your users have bad internet. And it sounds to me like John is saying that this could impact your ability to rank in countries that have good internet. I might be interpreting this wrong though. If you have a different interpretation, I'd love for you to tweet at me and, uh, and let me know what you think John's saying there. I mentioned in the last podcast episode that a number of websites were seeing problems with soft 404 errors in Search Console, and several people have said that important pages have dropped out of the index for them. Search Engine Roundtable had some tweets from a large apartment rental website that saw a steady erosion of traffic because of this issue. They had many important pages actually de-indexed. Well, I just heard today, uh, Wednesday, April 21st, as I record this, I know podcast comes out the following day, uh, that this issue is probably solved. Uh, so it'll be interesting to look at that. And I'll see if I can tie uh, those, um, the, the soft 404 issues in with any of the dates that we thought were a mini algorithm update. I'll let you know if I get anywhere on that. All right, let's get to Q&A. Here's the question. I just found out from Hrefs that my site is hit by, I presume, malicious backlinks. I've got 1.9 thousand referring domains in the last 30 days alone and 2.8 thousand backlinks. They go on to list some of the referring domains, including Blogspot, WordPress, and others. The main question here was whether each of these need to be disavowed, and if so, at the domain level, or do you have to disavow each individual blog spot and WordPress site on its own? This is a real problem for a lot of sites. And sometimes when it happens, it continues to happen for days or weeks or even months afterwards. 
So I've seen people who have dedicated time every single day to finding the new spam pointing at their site and adding that to their disavow file, which I think for most people is a waste of time. We still do recommend using Google's disavow tool, but only for sites that have a link profile where we look at it and we think, wow, if a Google web spam team member reviewed this site, you guys would get a manual action. So the next question then is whether all of these ultra, ultra spammy links that you're seeing are going to cause you a manual action. Would the web spam team think that you deserve a manual action if they see this. My answer to that is that I would be extremely surprised if that happened. I haven't seen the links in question, so I'd need to review them to know for sure. But I kind of know what you're talking about because we see this when websites get hit with spam. There's often just really splammy, <laughs> splammy, <laughs> splammy, that's a good one. Really spammy blogspot pages with all sorts of scraped content and CSS issues, and some of the scraped content will contain a link back to your site. If you see that happening on a massive scale, one thing that I'd recommend is actually consulting with a malware expert. Uh, sometimes when people infect your site with malware, they'll also run automated programs that build thousands and thousands of spammy links pointing at your site. So sometimes the sudden influx of spammy links can be a sign that maybe your site has been hacked. So I would look into that. I think that is something we can connect people with. If you need um, somebody who does uh, specialize in malware, we have a good connection for, uh, for somebody there. So feel free to reach out to us. Now, if you asked me this question before 2016, I would have told you that it's not a bad idea to disavow those links. And yes, you can disavow all of blogspot.com or wordpress.com. I had one client many years ago that we really struggled to get a manual action lifted and Google kept finding new mini sites that they'd created on these free hosts like Blogspot and Weebly is another one, uh, pretty much anywhere where you could get a free website. Now, these actually were unnatural links in this case, not spam like it sounds like in, in your case. The difference here is that the business actually hired an SEO agency to build them these microsites on these free hosts. And then they created articles on each of these microsites with keyword anchored links that uh, pointed back to their own site and also interlinked their whole network uh, to some degree. Uh, not all of them though, they were so hard to find. And this definitely contributed to their manual action. The frustrating thing though, is that these links were not picked up by Ahrefs or Majestic or Moz. And a lot of them weren't even in search console either. So what I did at the time was I created a list of every possible free host I could find on the web. I think I found a forum post from warrior forum or something like that. That was telling you all the places you could make free host accounts and create these horrible websites. <laughs> and, and what we did was we disavowed every single one of those free hosts at the domain level. So it would be like disavowing domain colon blogspot.com domain colon weebly.com. In September of 2016, Google made changes to the penguin algorithm. Prior to that, it really did seem that if you had enough spammy, unnatural links pointing to your site, adding them to a disavow file could help. But ever since Penguin 4.0 in September of 2016, Google made a change where they no longer demote websites for spam, but instead they just ignore all of those links. If we're doing a link audit for a client and we really 
we really only recommend link audits right now for clients where we feel like they could be at risk for getting a manual action. If we come across spam like this, we do throw it in the disavow file if we're already doing a link audit. There's no harm in doing that and it takes us no extra time, but I wouldn't recommend doing a link audit and filing a disavow for a spam attack, especially if it means that you need to spend hours every day working on this. I think that's a complete waste of time. All right, that's it for this episode. There's a lot going on with Google's algorithms and I love trying to dissect it. It, it always amazes me that people like to listen to me share my thoughts like this. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a like or a thumbs up on whatever platform you're listening to and subscribe if you can. Uh, that's something that then you'll get every week you get to hear me babble on to you. <laughs> Thanks so much and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.